0: Good morning all, always a thrill to be able to preach here at, uh, at my own church and uh, an especially unique challenge for me to be, uh, to preach one of the Ten Commandments to come in this series and, uh, and to try to, you know, convey what this is supposed to mean. Um, but I'm excited for the opportunity. Uh, my name is Job. Chances are I'm the only Job you know. I've never met another Job in my lifetime. I've heard whispers. I've heard faint rumors of there being other Jobs out there. uh, But I've never personally met one. And honestly, I think it'd be kind of weird to meet one. It'd be like meeting my long-lost twin sibling or something. I don't know. I wouldn't want to—I don't even want to have that interaction. It would be far too surreal for me. Uh, But the name Job hasn't come without its inconveniences over my lifetime. Honestly, it's been kind of an odd name to have and to grow up with. When I was young, of course, always, the first roll call, the first class, the first thing I would ever do, I'd be called out as job. If you Google my name, uh, you'll come up with a myriad of job opportunities in Hammond, Indiana. (laughs) And, uh, and And even still today, right up even this week, People still, if it's the first time they see my name on the list, they just immediately go to job. And then, of course, kids at school wanted to make fun of me, so on purpose, they would always call me job, and it would drive me crazy. If you go to a family reunion or a family holiday event, you'll see everybody call, all my aunts and uncles and cousins, they'll call me joby One, which is short for joby Kenobi. That was another nickname I grew up with. And, uh, and I, didn't, I didn't appreciate it at all. I never liked it as a kid. It drove me crazy. I wanted, there was a period of time where I would rather have been gone by my middle name, which is David. And nobody screws up David. Uh, but, uh, but nobody was having that. It was always going to be Job. And, uh, and eventually, though, I got to the point where I kind of got over it. Like I just, I quit worrying about it. Something changed in me where I just, I just got over people messing with my name. It didn't matter to me anymore. You can get it wrong all you want. I don't care. You can call me Job. You can call me Joe. You can call me joby Wan and Joby-Won Kenobi. I don't care. You can call me Fuzzy Bird for all I care. It does not matter to me. It doesn't offend me anymore. But as we're going to see today, it's a little bit different with God. God cares about how we understand his name. He cares about the way we use his name. He wants his name to have a reaction in us. He wants us to react when his name is mentioned. And he even wants us to be afraid of getting his name wrong. A.W. Tozer, in a book that he wrote called Knowledge of the Holy, has this very famous quote. It says, what comes into our minds... When we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. He wants his name to mean something to us. Exodus 20, verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name In vain. Let me open us up with a word of prayer, Father. This morning, we come to you with a desire to obey your word. We want to grow in our faith in you and our knowledge of you. So we pray here now that you would teach us your name, teach us what your name really means, and we ask that through your name you would teach us just what kind of God you really are and that we would be inspired to worship you even more. We pray this in your name. Amen. So we're going to examine this commandment by asking four questions. Four questions that I hope will help us get to the bottom of what this means and even how we're supposed to obey this commandment here and now in our lives. So we're going to ask uh, the first question. The first question is, what even is the Lord's name? What is the Lord's name? We call them a lot of different things. And, uh, and so, we, uh, fortunately, this commandment, right built into it, gives us a really good clue. If you remember the last couple sermons, um, Andy taught and, uh, and Ryan taught, and they taught the first two commandments. And both those commandments contained God speaking about himself in the first person, right? He said, uh, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself a carved image, for I am the Lord your God, am a jealous God. But in this commandment, it's different. He switches to the third person. It's as if he wants us to hear him say his name so we know exactly what he's talking about, what he's referring to. And he says it this exact same way back a little bit earlier in Exodus 3 when he encounters Moses or when Moses encounters God at the burning bush and God charges him with the job of confronting Pharaoh and leading the Israelites out of Egypt. We're going to go to that. Let's read Exodus chapter 3, and I'm going to start at verse 13. It says, that Moses said to God, If I come to, to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? What shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. the Lord, in this passage to Moses. It is here when he tells Moses his name, the Lord. But now in the Hebrew language, it's four consonants. Scholars call it the tetragrammatron. And, uh, and that means it's four consonants in Hebrew without any vowels. So it's not actually even written to be pronounced. It's Y-H-W-H. And, uh, and it's, it's not printed to be pronounced. And we pronounce it Yahweh, but we'd only pronounce it Yahweh by really educated guessing. We're not 100% sure that's exactly how God's name is supposed to be pronounced because they didn't write it to be pronounced. In the Old Testament, they they typically didn't pronounce a word, like I said, out of reverence for the fact that it was the very name of God. Given this command, the thought of accidentally misusing it was frightening enough for them to avoid it altogether. So instead, they'd use some other words. Like the Hebrew word is a little bit more general for my Lord. It's Adonai. Or they would use the word Elohim, which is Hebrew for God. And then they got a little bit more creative much later on, and they took the four consonants of Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, or really the Hebrew equivalent, and, uh, and they combined it with the vowels that you get from Adonai. And uh, and they come up with this word, Yehovah, or as we know it, Jehovah, which is why we often know that as the name of God, Jehovah, even though it's not printed anywhere in our Bibles, unless you use a King James Version. The rest of our Bibles just print Yahweh as capital L-O-R-D, Lord. And it's something like, used something like 6,000 times in our Bibles, so it's really common. That's his name, and when he gives it to Moses in in Exodus 3 here, he attaches a ton of meaning to this name. He doesn't want Moses to just know the name. He wants us to know what it means. So there's two things that we have to know about the name Yahweh if we're going to dare use it. We have to understand these two important things. The first is that it means God is self-existent, self-defined, and self-sufficient. God is self-existent, self-defined, and self-sufficient. To explain that, no one named God. God named God. God defines God. God exists because God exists. God sustains God. To name something is to demonstrate some sort of dominion over them. That's why, you know, we name our kids whatever we want to name our kids whatever name we want them to have to grow up with. Hopefully you're not mean enough to name your kid Job. But uh, God gave Adam dominion over animals by giving him the power and, and the responsibility of naming the animals. And in the pagan culture surrounding this passage, to to invert the name of God, to use the name of God in like battle or when you wanted to procreate or whenever you wanted victory, to invoke God's name is to use that God to your advantage. To invoke any God is to use that God and to manufacture victory, to force that God to give you victory. That was the superstition around the name of a God. And so going into Babel, they would use that God's name, assuming that that God would give them victory. But God wants us to know him as the I am. Because it means that we have to recognize that God is sovereign over us and not the other way around. We don't get to decide when he has to work for us. We call on his name to worship, to surrender to him, and not to use him for our own gain. We don't get to use God for our own selfish motives or our own selfish ambitions. God is self-existent, self-defined, self-sufficient. And the second thing that we have to understand that God's name, Yahweh, means for us is that God's name here in Exodus came with a promise of salvation. This pivotal moment, remember at the burning bush, this is when God charges Moses that he has to confront Pharaoh and lead Egypt out of Israel. This is when God lays down the promise of salvation for his people. And he wants them to remember that when they remember his name. He wants to attach the promise of salvation with the name Yahweh to the point where it's indistinguishable for us. That's really important. We have to remember that, okay? And I'm going to refer back to that when we get to the end, to our fourth question, because this is really, really crucial for us. That if we want to obey this commandment, this is essential for us to know. That God's name, that Yahweh means a promise of salvation for us. Yahweh is a promise of salvation. The second question that we want to ask, what constitutes taking the Lord's name in vain. What constitutes taking the Lord's name in vain? In the Old Testament, there are three general categories how we would see the Lord's name in vain. Uh, The first was sorcery, that was casting a spell and including God's name in that spell to give it more potency, to make it powerful. Um, So it was like full-on sorcery, casting spells in God's name. The second was false prophecy. That is to say, God said this and you have to obey. Except it's not true. God didn't say that. Jeremiah came up against this a ton in his ministry. People claiming that God had, had told them and give the, given them the responsibility to communicate these things, that this was revelation from God, but it was total lies. It was just them trying to build their own reputation. And the third one was, is... Taking false oaths—that is to say, by as God's name, or as the Lord lives, or by the name of God—this is true, but it's not. It's a lie. By God's name, as the Lord, as God is my witness, I am eight feet tall. It's not true. It's a lie. It's taking false oath and using God's name to try to give that credibility, even though it's still a lie. And I think today now there's a ton of examples. In fact, I want to list a a bunch of ideas on how I think we might be using or might be prone to use God's name in vain. Uh, But my favorite example is Creflo Dollar. Have you heard of Creflo Dollar? Creflo Dollar is a televangelist out of Georgia. has a huge following, kind of in the vein of like... uh, yeah, prosperity gospel preachers and, and so on. Uh, a lot of people would consider him very corrupt. He has a huge following, like I said, on TV. He might be on, on our TVs right now as we speak at home and uh, preaching about whatever he preaches about. And, uh, and this summer, he and his ministry launched a fundraising, fundraising campaign where they charged all of their followers and all of their listeners to each donate at least $300 each. So that in the quest to, to raise $65 million for their ministry. And you know what that $65 million was for? A $65 million private jet. The Gulfstream G650. It's not just our private jet. To give them, to be fair, it's the private jet. It's, it's the nicest private jet. It's considered the, the fastest, most luxurious private jet that's available on the public market. It can get anywhere faster than most regular airliners that we'd ride. And, uh, and there's currently a waiting list of millionaires and billionaires that are waiting for these to be manufactured quick enough so that they can get their hands on one. And Creflo Dollar insists that he needs one, of course, to, to get the gospel out to all the other countries and to go preach it as fast and as thoroughly as he can. And so they launched this huge campaign this summer, and they put out a video and a big crowdsourcing campaign. And, uh, and it was met with a ton of backlash, a lot of negative negativity, because people are, like, are flabbergasted that you could somehow justify a $65 million jet for this guy, Creflo Dollar. And so it, so much, though, it went completely viral, and they had to shut down the whole campaign because it was bringing a lot of negative attention to them. But they still stand by the decision, actually. Creflo Dollar and his ministry, world Changes, is what they call it. Um, they have every intention of still buying this jet. They're committed to buying it because they believe it represents the excellence that, is, that defines their ministry. And, uh, and I even listened to a, a speech by Creflo Dollar who defended his decision. Here's what he said, quote, if, you want, if I want to believe God for a $65 million plane, you cannot stop me. You cannot stop me from dreaming. I'm going to dream until Jesus comes. And then he says, with God... All things are possible to him that believes. That's scripture he's quoting to get his private jet. That's Jesus. In Mark 9, 23, when somebody comes to Jesus and asks him if Jesus is able to, to heal a, a, a boy, a young boy who's been uh, possessed by a demon spirit that's causing him to throw himself into fires and harm himself, and somebody's coming to Jesus and saying, do you think you can heal this kid? And Jesus said, believe in me. And all things are possible. Not, you can get an airline, you can get a private jet, a $65 million jet. I think that's a stretch. I think that's crazy. I don't think that's what Jesus was intending by that statement. Um, I don't think Jesus meant to say, believe in me and you can get whatever you want. I have to give it to you because you believe in me. I think it's believe that I'm powerful enough to do whatever it takes. But I, and I think, like, eventually, right? Creflo Clef is going to have to answer to Jesus about this whole campaign. He's going to have to explain himself. I really would love to be there and watch, but I, uh, I and maybe not. But I think it's like I, I want to hear how he defends himself to Jesus. And I think this is a great example of how we can go so far in thinking that we can justify our desires, our selfish ambitions, and use God's name to get what we want. But it's we can do this very easily in our own lives, too. I mean, when we use God's name and throw it around, when we want him to manufacture our own victories, when we want him to work for us, we, when we want to get what we want from him, we use his, his name in vain. We, when we blame God for misfortunes that we think we didn't deserve, When we take our salvation for granted, like somehow we manage to earn it. When we treat God like he's a tool, rather than a person, a supreme, a sovereign God that's meant to be worshipped and adored, we treat him like he's useful to us. And we can get something out of him. We use his name in vain when we ignorantly tell people what God wants or what God cares about, even though our advice has no basis in scripture whatsoever. Or when we assume that we're right just because we call ourselves a Christian. I think about when we see athletes kneeling and pointing to God in a very public way, right? Or Grammy winners when they thank God for their award. You always have to ask, is that even remotely sincere? Is that sincere? And I don't want to judge them for that. But it begs the question, do they really mean that? Would they do that if they lost the award? Would they still thank God in the same way? Or would they do this in private when nobody else is watching? Would they praise God that way? And how is it different than when we throw around God's name and claim God's will over something that we're doing, but that's really just selfishly motivated, that's really about us and not about God. We use God's name in vain when we call people sinners because they've offended our personal preferences rather than what's true and and rather than really defending what the word says. When we confuse opinions with convictions. We use God's name in vain when we become defensive about our own sin, when we defend our sin claiming that somehow it's justifiable, somehow it's acceptable to to God, when really, in truth, we just don't want to go through the pain and the embarrassment of having to repent of that sin. I think taking the Lord's name in vain constitutes a lack of reverence when we come before God to worship Him. I'm not so much taking issue with, are you singing passionately enough? But when you don't worship Him, when your worship is weak, when you're not, Doing it when you should be. Do you find yourself blaming outside factors? Blaming the leadership, blaming the circumstances, blaming what's going on in your life, blaming all these other things that contribute to you not worshiping God? You can't blame your lack of worship on anyone but yourself. Your worship of God reflects what you think of Him. And we know. That he is self-defined, self-sufficient, self-existent. We know that his name comes with a promise for us, and so we have no excuse not to worship him. And our lack of worship is, is our own fault, is a reflection of how we see him. The only obstacle to our worship is ourselves. How we serve God, too, I think says a lot about what we think of him. I would even go to say So far to say, when we volunteer, when we step out to serve, to help people, to do something, when we sign up at church because we believe that God wants us to do this, but then when we phone it in, when we do a terribly mediocre job, when our schedules are too busy, and uh, when the emails come to ask us to show up and help out, and we blow off those emails, um, or or we lose interest because it doesn't give us the affirmation we were hoping it would, what does that say about our, how we view God? What does our service and the way we serve God say about what we think of him? Giving ourselves or excusing ourselves from worship and from serving with everything that we have reflects poorly. There's no excuse for us. If the use of his name in any circumstance doesn't call us to an immediate attention, it may be that we think of God more as an abstract idea rather than our sovereign and supreme creator. It's as if you can make him fit the image that you want him to fit just by saying his name and attaching it to your image of him. But when you mess with God's name, you mess with God. And you don't mess with God. Pharaoh learned that eventually after Moses did indeed confront him and lead his people out of Israel, out of Egypt. When you mess with God's name, you mess with God. And you don't mess with God. But what happens then if you do? What happens if you do mess with God's name? That's our third question, all right? What are the real-life repercussions to using the Lord's name in vain? What happens when we do that? In terms of the law in the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments, we're guilty and we're liable for judgment. It's that simple. Job knew this very well, the real Job, I'm saying. Job knew this very well by making sacrifices on behalf of his own children for fear that they would curse God in their hearts. And so when we use God's name in vain, we quite literally bring judgment on ourselves we condemn ourselves. And if that's not enough, we also cheapen our understanding of God. We cheapen how we represent him in this world and in this life. We make God cheap. We make his name pliable to our preferences and impulses. We, manipul- we manipulate God for our selfish ambitions. We, we try to raise our exalt ourselves by using God's name and reveal and suggest the possibility that maybe we've completely misunderstood God altogether. Maybe we really don't know him at all. What's even scarier about that is not if we take his name in vain, but when we do it. If the Israelites had to be so careful about misusing God's name that they wouldn't even speak it, what does that say about us? What are we going to do? Are we doomed to judgment simply because we're ignorant about God? And the answer would have been, yes. The answer would have been for us, yes, we're doomed to judgment. But instead, Yahweh fulfilled his promise of salvation to us. Yahweh filled his, pro- his promise of salvation to us. The promise he gave us when he gave us his name. And so that's how, why we're going to ask this fourth question. How do we avoid taking the Lord's name in vain? Or better yet, how do we avoid the condemnation that comes when we do take his name in vain? And the answer to that question is simple. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. We cast ourselves fully onto the grace given to us through Jesus. Philippians 2, 9 through 10 explains it much better than I can. So I'm going to read that. Philippians 2, 9 through 10. It says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Yahweh to the glory of God the Father remember when we said that Jesus or that Yahweh came with a promise of salvation that promise is kept in Jesus Yahweh is Jesus. Jesus is Yahweh. Jesus himself, as our Savior, glorified the name of God to his highest extent. It was he who taught us the Lord's Prayer, Hallowed be thy name. It was he who saved us and delivered us. It was he who lived up to everything the name of the Lord represents, which is salvation for his people. The way we obey this commandment is the way we obey all the commandments, really. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you look at everything Christ represented in his life, his death, his resurrection, it all points to who God is. It all represents the I am, Yahweh. So the message of this commandment for us and how we need to understand this is instead of be very afraid of taking the Lord's name in vain, really how we can understand this is be very thankful That Jesus is the Lord's name. And it means salvation for us. We obey this commandment by worshiping Jesus, by believing in Jesus, and even by thanking Jesus. Colossians 3.17 says, And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Yahweh Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the only way to avoid taking the Lord's name in vain, Worship Jesus. Live in worship of Jesus. Thank Jesus. Be grateful for the salvation that we have. Be grateful that we are saved from the condemnation that we've brought on ourselves by breaking these commandments. The very name of God points to Jesus, and by protecting and upholding his name, he fulfills his promise of salvation for us. When you mess with God's name, you mess with God. And you don't mess with God. But when you worship Jesus, you glorify God's name. Let me close in a word of prayer. Father, we ask that you would forgive us when we fail to live up your commands. We pray now that the reality of who you are and what you've done for us would take root in our lives and teach us how to live day in and day out. Teach us how to worship God, how to serve, how to live in gratitude for keeping your promise to us. When we use your name, we want it to glorify you. We want to honor you and not offend you. We want our lives to exalt you, we want to make you famous in our world. God, make us sensitive to the ways that we might misuse your name for our own purposes, for our selfish desires. And may we be ambitious... In our desire to bring you glory and to glorify you and worship you. We pray this in your name. Amen.